0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AON. We appreciate being a part of your day and well, there's a day that we're taking a look at the numbers released yesterday from the World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates out of the USDA. Not much of a market mover. We saw a couple minor changes. The trade is lower on the day. Corn, beans, and wheat all moving lower. On tomorrow's program, Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with Stonex, will be joining us. He'll have had some time to read deep into that report and we'll get his thoughts on what it showed us looking out to the future. We are gonna be talking about a lot of different things on today's episode. We're gonna kick it off looking at insurance on the cattle side of the Ag Risk Ledger here in just a moment. Before segment two, we check in with Ron Lamberti. He's just returned from a trip to India promoting ethanol at the Indian Auto Show. Fascinating differences between India and U.S.'s approaches to ethanol. And in segment three, we're going to look ahead to fertilizer season this spring. Josh Linville, fertilizer director at Stonex, will be joining us. Before at the end of the show, we're going to check in with our friends at the United Soybean Board. We're going to talk with Matt Gast and Jesse Allen, farm and ranch director of the American Radio Network. Now, folks, we are going to kick it off here with the insurance discussion. And I'm bringing this to you now because last week I had the opportunity to be in New Orleans at the uh, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association annual get-together. And one of the things that surprised me on the trade show floor was the number of insurance products out there for cattle producers. It seems as though that whole market has exploded over the past couple of years, and I wanted to get some of the details. Joining us now to describe this market is Ross Bronson. He's an Ag Risk Consultant with the Red Summit Insurance Agency. And Ross, thanks for joining us today.
2: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: Why are we
2: seeing so much
0: more insurance at the Cattle con than we saw maybe five, ten years ago? Ross, what's changed in the industry here recently?
2: I think there's two things in particular that are driving this uh, for the industry. The first is that we're getting some products that are really beneficial to, to producers. Uh, you know, the prf and the lrp in their in their season are great and there's been improvements over the years and the rma is really standing behind them as producer beneficial products the other thing is i think that risk management as we move we're really starting to shift from generation to generation in the ranching industry like across the rest of the business world from the boomers leaving and i think that new producers and or progressive producers are realizing that this, this idea of risk management really needs to be at the front of their thinking um, if they're going to continue in a sustainable way.
0: Ross, that makes a lot of sense. And on the grain side, we see banks really encouraging or requiring some kind of risk management insurance product, particularly for new farmers. Are we seeing hearing similar stories on the insurance requirements for new ranchers coming in? Are they Are banks requiring them to lock in some protection?
2: I've heard a few of those in the wind. I don't think it's um, going to be mainstream yet. I wouldn't be surprised at all down the road to see it that way. I know LRP in particular, some people are are, are wanting to require on new cattle loans and some things like that. Uh, so I would definitely see it trending that way. Um, it's not widespread yet, though.
0: Okay. Well, that makes sense. I want to touch on some of those products that are making sense for producers here in 2023. You mentioned LRP. That's the one we're in season four right now, that sign-up period. Livestock risk protection. Ross, give us the elevator pitch. How does this work?
2: Yeah. So livestock risk protection is essentially a, a simple hedge. You're ensuring an expected value at a certain future date. And, that, and if that is higher, you owe premium. If it's lower than your expected value, then you get paid out. So it's protecting against market decline without the upside risk associated with a more true hedge in the futures market. Okay.
0: And now the thing that always confuses me a little bit with LRP is because the sign up is multi-stage. I understand there's an application, but that doesn't necessarily put the insurance
2: in place. Is that right? yes that's great to bring up so you you have to have an an application in which is good for several years actually and that just gets it so that they've gone through all of the vetting process of of approving you for the insurance and then they have what's called an endorsement and the endorsement is what actually locks in your coverage at the period that you choose to uh, accept that expected ending value
0: Okay. So I assume that I'm going to have these calves coming on the ground. I'm going to need to insure them at six weight in next March. And I could
2: buy that coverage. Is that, am I thinking about it correctly? Yeah, you, you got the right idea. It's, it's ensuring the time period at which you intend to sell. Okay. And
0: we can insure those in, in smaller windows, right? Than an annual uh, basis.
2: Yes. It's 13 weeks up to like 50, 50- and uh, you can kind of pick anywhere in there, with, but it's on a certain week period. So I think it's like a three to four week difference between each period. Okay. And so this LRP sign up, this is happening right now, Ross, is that right? Yes, it's, it's a rolling coverage type situation where you can sign up now. If you end up buying some calves for pasture in late spring, you can sign up then It it has, it has rolling coverage.
0: All right. So folks, keep that in mind. If you're looking to manage some of the risk on this high dollar cattle complex investment, keep that LRP in mind. But Ross, I also wanted to talk to you about the other product that was much discussed down there at CattleCon, which is PRF, that pasture range forage land insurance, rainfall insurance. How does that work?
2: The the best way to think about PRF is it's the rancher's crop insurance. And your crop is your grass, but you don't harvest your crop per se. You, you do it through your cattle so they've used the direct correlation between precipitation and projected forage growth to create a precipitation-based yield coverage is, is really the best way to think about it. And uh, it's based off your 70-year precipitation average. And that's where it's become so beneficial for producers is in most of our country, over the 70-year average, we have trended drier. And so it, it has it has kind of, swayed things in the producers favor
0: premiums on the PRF given that we've had several years of drought Ross is that raising the cost of that kind of protection
2: not that we see and not that we're hearing is going to happen at NCBA in in particular the RMA explained that they understand that they are paying out aggressively and they it's kind of designed that way
0: Okay, glad to hear they're on board with that. Given that that's what the program is for, when is the sign up for PRF, Ross, and how does that work?
2: So the sign up period for PRF is from September first through December first, and any time throughout that uh, period you can lock in uh, a PRF policy. You can have discussions long before that. We are having discussions, especially with our larger producers who think ahead. A lot of Uh, large real business-minded ranches will have this coverage kind of figured out by by summer so you you can start the process now get some quotes but you can't actually lock in your coverage until that three-month period and everyone tends to wait till the end uh you know we we get a big influx in that last week or two of, of december but you can definitely start that conversation early
0: Start that conversation earlier, folks. Help these agents not have a flood of paperwork. Just before the sign-up day, we've been speaking with Ross Bronson. He's an ag risk consultant at Red Summit Insurance. You can find them online at redsummit.com. That's two D's, two M's, one T. Ross, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: It was a pleasure, thank you.
0: And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're gonna check in with Ron Lamberti of the American Coalition of Ethanol. Stay with us for more coming up next. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us now is Troy Schneider. He's the chair of the market development action team for the National Corn Growers Association. Had the chance back in December to travel
3: over to Europe. Over in the European Union, when we were there for the CPA, one of the topics came up was the the methane tax emission on cattle and then the reduced use of um, pesticides. The farmers over in the European Union do not feel like they are appreciated, that they're wanted. What we all came away with is, we need to learn from their mistakes. How do we go forward? How do we make sure that those policies don't come over here? We do have those policies coming to the head every once in a while here in the United States, but we have that strong voice within CBA, within CGA in Washington, D.C.
0: This Monthly Grind recap is sponsored by the National Corn Growers Association. Be sure to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind here
4: on AOA.
5: what a great organization, helping
1: families in need like ours, it's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit FarmRescue.org
0: today.
1: Public Service Announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on
0: AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We appreciate being included as a part of your day. And we are going to turn our focus next to biofuels. If you listen to this program a lot, you know it's one of my favorite subjects to discuss. It's a great use of America's ag products, giving us energy, keeping our economy running at a price point that works for consumers. We saw a huge year in 2022 domestically. In the United States for ethanol, we saw consumers rushing to those prices at the pump, and it got me wondering, how's ethanol appear on the international stage? Well, luckily, the American Coalition for Ethanol and the U.S. Grains Council recently took a trip to India. Ron Lamberti, the chief marketing officer at the American Coalition, had the chance to go along on that journey. He joins us now. Ron, thank you so much for joining us today.
8: You bet. Glad to be here.
0: Let's talk about this trip over to India. Ron, ACE, U.S. Grains Council. What was the reason for the trip to discuss ethanol in India?
8: Well, it was uh, ACE, U.S. Grains Council, Growth Energy, RFA, some state corn grower groups, um, but basically a bunch of us because it was a big project. Um, uh, We went over there for the India Auto Show, um, and India is increasing the amount of ethanol they're using in fuel. They have a target of going up to 20% by 2025, um, which sounds overly ambitious, and I wish we could be that ambitious here, but you know, they've gone from zero to 10% in about five or six years. Um, they're at 10% now, and I'm um, pretty confident they'll be at 20, because the ethanol pavilion, which we were part of um, in this auto show, uh, which I think had 18 different halls and 600,000 people attending, um, You know, all the major and the minor auto manufacturers, everybody else. But the ethanol pavilion was the first thing you saw when you walked into it. And it was a joint effort of the automakers and the the uh, petroleum industry in India and the government. They're all behind 20%, which is why I think they'll get there pretty quickly. So we were going there to, you know, my, my part was talking about underground fuel equipment and above-ground fueling equipment and, you know, putting them at ease with the fact that they're you know, some of their or a lot of their existing equipment can handle the higher blends. And we had uh, a company over there that did E85 conversions for vehicles and, and then a bunch of people who make ethanol and farmers who grow corn. So it was a pretty big effort. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a potentially very, very big market.
0: It is. And Ron, as you mentioned, it's a market that the enthusiasm has just exploded in recent years. I was hoping you could maybe share with us a little bit why the industry is so gung-ho about an e20 blend what is it in india that makes that so politically palatable
8: well it's one of those things that i mean it's it's great to hear but it's also something that kind of you know makes me angry because basically the reason they want to do e20 is because they they don't have the luxury of waiting around until electric cars reach whatever thing it is that everybody thinks they're going to reach here um you know they have a real air quality emergency when i was there their air quality index <clears throat> was over 300 every day now to compare that in california in los angeles today the air quality index was 65. Um, they have had uh, last year they had one day when it was over 150. Um, so i mean it's, it's just the air quality is terrible there and if anybody who's really serious about improving air quality um would just use more ethanol. I mean that's the that's the simple quick solution to making your air quality better, but ethanol has been making the air quality better in the United States for long enough now that the sense of urgency um isn't really there. It's um you know you've got a lot of the efforts or most of the efforts being put into a technology that right now isn't as clean as E85 and that there you know there's a lot of stuff that has to happen for it to be cleaner than that but um that's why they're doing it in india and why you're seeing it in europe is because it's a it's a simple solution that has been proven effective over decades and that's um that's why they support it they need it because it's urgent there and um you know it's one of those things where you know we kind of have created a situation where it's not as urgent here um so that's that's why i say it's it's awesome to hear that they get the science, but it's frustrating because, you know, we don't. Right.
0: We don't, and we've seen American manufacturers over the past several years roll back their production of flex fuel vehicles from the manufacturing, the vehicle manufacturing side in India, Ron. Is that something they're looking to ramp up for their domestic manufacturers?
8: Absolutely. They had in this ethanol pavilion that we were in, they had several different flex fuel vehicles, things that are, you know, by Toyota, uh, um, Honda, all the all the major manufacturers, um, but you know they they're they're cars that we don't get here anymore. Um, in fact, one of the things they had that I think we've talked about before, where where I took a a hybrid vehicle and made it into a flex fuel that I call half um, hybrid electric flex fuel. Toyota actually had a vehicle on display there. It was in one of the auto pavilions that was a hybrid that's flex fuel. That um, there's a few of them apparently in Brazil now. But to me, that's the one that makes the most sense. If you're going to go electric, you've got fuel that gives you range, and you're making the electricity. I mean, a battery isn't a power source. It's just a storage tank. The power, if it comes from a coal-fired power plant, which a lot of the ones in India still are, and for that matter, some of the ones in the United States still are, it's not a clean vehicle. It's, a, I mean, it's a cleaner vehicle, but it's not completely clean. But if your battery is charged by you driving down the road on E85, that should give you pretty good, you know, pretty good uh, greenhouse gas uh, number. So Toyota is doing that. I was on a panel and spoke with the guy from Toyota who who talked about that. And, you know, it's something that I I hope they want to do around here, but um, all the incentives go to electric vehicles. And so we got to try and get that changed up.
0: We do. We do. And that conversation I know is ongoing in D.C. and around the world, Ron. And I'm curious, I want to bring the focus back to the Indian ethanol industry as they look to make this yeah. massive growth in uh, in ethanol consumption. Do they plan to ramp up their domestic production business or are they looking to be an ethanol importer in the near future?
8: Yeah, that's, that is a that's a great question, because India makes about two point one billion gallons of ethanol a year mostly sugar, ethanol, um, and, and they need $4 billion in order to meet this 20% mandate. So one of the things that people in the Grains Council were talking to them about was allowing U.S. ethanol to be used because right now their law says that they can't use ethanol that wasn't produced by Indian companies. And you know that may be something that they have to do while their industry grows. But it also means, I mean, it's one of those things where if they're using all of that ethanol, all of the ethanol they make for motor vehicles, there's still a need for in, for ethanol in India for all the other things that ethanol is used for in all countries, the cleaning supplies and, and sometimes beverage ethanol. So there's already a market there, but it could be a lot bigger. And maybe it will be something where they catch up and eventually they don't want to buy any U.S. ethanol. But in the meantime, we, we are making sure that they understand that we're willing to help and, you know, 2 billion gallons is, is a, is a huge market. And that's, you know, that's a country that right now is, I still, I think is still in second place population wise in the world, just behind China, but it sounds like they're going to pass them here in the next five or 10 years. So it's a big market, lots of vehicles, man. It's just, just full of vehicles on those streets, but uh, you know, that's, that's a, a good possibility now and maybe in the future.
0: And Ron, I'm wondering, given that you work with a lot of manufacturers, you work with a lot of partners here at the ethanol industry, those domestic Indian car manufacturers, I would imagine most of those vehicles are sold elsewhere in Southeast Asia as well. Could give some other countries an opportunity to incorporate more flex fuel vehicles or ethanol throughout Southeast Asia.
8: Yes, and we did have U.S. Grains Council had a lot of their people from different parts of Southeast Asia that were over there and it's vice versa too. The vehicles manufactured in other parts of Southeast Asia being sold in India uh, is a big factor. And, you know, the fact that they know 20% ethanol, I shouldn't downplay that and just go straight to E85. It's just sort of my own personal bias, you know, E20, then E30. And, and, you know, as these companies that do business, not only in, you know, Malaysia and Vietnam and, and South Korea, they do business in the United States. So, you know I think we see how easily the technology can be developed because there really isn't that much to do to make a car e20 compatible um, So I mean for that matter, they're pretty much all e30 E50 compatible right out of the right off the, off the line. So if they're working in India, um, then they'll work other places and as we see the costs of these vehicles and know that regular people still need to drive cleaner vehicles, the best solution is vehicles that burn more ethanol. Absolutely. We've got the tools and
0: technology to improve air quality domestically and around the world here with ethanol. Thank you to the U.S. Grains Council, ACE, the entire coalition for going over there, sharing the good news about U.S. ethanol and the ethanol industry more broadly in India. Folks, we've been speaking with Ron Lamberti, Chief Marketing Officer there at the American Coalition for Ethanol. And Ron, thanks for joining us today. You bet. Thanks. And folks, stay with us. When AOA returns, we're going to take a look at the fertilizer market. Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer at Stonex, will be joining us on the show. Let's hear how things could look as planting season comes into focus. Stay here for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA,
9: Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Each season, farmers put it all on the line. So it's just good business to get every advantage you can. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can give yourself a season-long advantage over weeds, and it can help boost your yield potential. Show weeds you mean business and learn more about guaranteed weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash early. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices.
7: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting live from the United Soybean Board February meeting in Nashville, Tennessee. And the soybean market, a bit of a talking point here in the trade on Thursday. We were higher overnight with the strength of the bean meal market, but we are seeing a little more mixed activity here as we work through our session with corn, beans, and wheat all kind of hovering right around the unchanged mark. We'll call it firm on the day. KC wheat under a little bit of pressure here early on weekly export sales corn sales at the top end of expectations but soybeans and wheat were at the low end japan unknown destinations mexico bought corn china was the buyer of beans but much of that was switched from unknown destinations cotton sales were a marketing year high as well overall though mixed bag in the weekly export sales numbers Seeing a little bit of fallout possibly as well from Wednesday's World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report. USDA confirmed on Wednesday that Argentine quartered soybean crops are rapidly getting smaller due to this year's drought with more reductions likely in future reports. The drought and the crop prospects are looking increasingly similar to the 2008-2009 growing season when Argentina produced a 32 million metric ton soybean crop. The big question at this point will be the capacity of barges to move soybeans down out of Brazil on the Paraná River to crushing facilities at Rosario, Brazil will have the crop the question will be logistics the answer to that question will impact demand for US soy meal over the coming year as well livestock trade we saw mixed bag in weekly export sales there beef net sales 16,400 metric tons Pork net sales, 28,800 metric tons. Relatively quiet in cattle and hogs here so far today with a mixed activity. We'll call it steady firm there in both cattle and hogs as we work through Thursday's trading session. Crude oil down about 1%. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen.
1: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block, to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad
7: Council.
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson
0: welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen we'll be talking here in just a bit with josh linville the vice president of fertilizer over at stonex but before we get into that i wanted to keep the focus on what's happening internationally we just spoke with ron lamberti about the exciting developments taking place in india seeing an entire country fired up about the advantages that biofuel and science can bring to air quality in that country. It's a different story. Over in Paris, the French government tried to allow French sugar beet producers to use neonicotinoids pesticides this year. After a devastating drought this last year, the EU has said, no, they can't. France said, we're gonna let you do it anyway. EU said no, France has now rescinded that permission and French farmers are protesting on the streets in Paris. It started yesterday. Some of that protest is expected to continue through the end of this week. There's pressure coming as these governments try to crack down on the crop protection products, not just here in the United States, but globally. We'll continue to keep an eye on that story as it moves forward. But now we're going to turn our focus to the fertilizer industry, another topic that has caused a lot of heartburn over the past year. One of the busiest men in agriculture is Josh Linville. He's been traveling at nearly every single meeting this past winter he has been at. He joins us now. Josh, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Well, hey, before we get into where this market is going, Josh, because you have been traveling so much, you've been talking to producers. What's the sense on the ground? How are the American farmers sitting prepared for this year's spring planting season?
4: It's really hard to tell, but I would say, based on the conversations I've been having, it seems like there's been a lot more of a conservative approach this year, especially on the fertilizer front. You know it's information flows much more freely than it did five, ten years ago. Farmers are well aware of what's been going on, how price has been declining. So I think a lot of farmers are taking advantage of that, holding off on their purchases, waiting to see can I get a little bit lower on that fertilizer price. But you've got a lot of questions there as far as when will they step forward an awful lot of questions on what form of nitrogen are they going to use? We've seen prices spread between urea, UAN, anhydrous much more than we've seen in the past. there's a lot of questions of, well, I've normally used UAN, I've normally used anhydrous. Maybe it makes sense to switch this year. So uh, a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty for it being first half February.
0: Josh, what's driving the discrepancy in prices between particularly the different nitrogen components? Is, Is supply chain disruption still on the liquid stuff?
4: It's a little bit of a supply chain uh, situation. A little bit has to do with the fact that North American producers shipped an awful lot of product over to Europe when they were dealing with their horrible operating rates. Now, That has since improved, but the damage is already done here in this fertilizer year. And we even moved into this fertilizer year knowing that uh, manufacturers are going to be focused more on urea than they would be on UAN. That helps further tighten it. So it really comes down to a situation of uh, the balance of the S&D. And this year, it's just a little bit tighter than normal, which helps prices hang a little bit harder.
8: All
0: right. So prices are sticking up there. But Josh, one of those key drivers that you've talked about for the past year, it has been a absolute roller coaster ride has been the price of that European natural gas. We saw those fertilizer producers shut down last year for a lot of them. When that price exploded, it has come way down. Is that driving production in the EU back to normal?
4: It has gotten it closer uh, during the height of the natural gas situation. There, we had seen the operating rate dip down to 20, 30 percent, depending on who you talk to, and it's a little bit of an estimation. A lot of these manufacturing plants are private; they don't want to discuss what they're doing or not doing in this case. And so, we saw the natural gas go from $103 in the MMBTU at its high. Back down to, we've recently been seeing it anywhere from 17 to 20. That rate we believe has increased to 60, 65% of normal, which is a fantastic gain from where it was, and has helped to alleviate alleviate a lot of the high prices we've seen around the world. But it does still leave a shortfall. Uh, We got to focus on the fact that hey, 35 or 40% still not operating is still a very, very big number. We're talking millions of tons on an annual basis
0: yeah it is huge it is huge out there european farmers then probably going to be sitting pretty well for access to supplies this year you'd assume
4: yeah they're they've been ahead of the game they knew what was coming so they obviously started jumping in early buying more tons in and that's what helped also uh rally the market like it did now we've not seen them since then that has been a little bit of a surprise and a lot of question of are they going to start coming here very soon have they got what they needed did we underestimate what the operating weight rate was like I said, still a lot of questions out there in a marketplace that's not real giving on its info.
0: Josh, while we're thinking nitrogen, I want to circle back to urea. And in this past year, you've mentioned some of the big fertilizer buyers stepping in. They move the market. And I know that we've been waiting for India to make a move here in
4: the urea. Have they? They have not. So the last time we saw India step in, uh, it was back in November. And for those who might not know... India is a great place. It's kind of a a check-on-the-spot market. They tender. Everybody submits their offers, and then they open those offers, and everybody gets a very good look of how many tons were offered, what was the price, and then ultimately what did they end up buying. Well, back in November, they shocked the market by doing back-to-back tenders that secured 2.9 million tons. These are not small purchases. They are big. And a lot of the marketplace believed, ourselves included, that, hey, December is going to be very quiet, which it was globally. And then we thought, hey, no, or January, we'll see a lot of world buying back. We'll see India back. That wasn't the case. And here we are in February. We're still, still not even hearing the rumors that usually uh, precede the actual announcement. There's some people saying that we might not see them until March, and that continues to kind of keep some pressure on this thing.
0: Okay, if India stays out until March, Josh, would that mean, assuming natural gas prices continue to come down, you'd expect to see this urea slide uh, for another couple of weeks?
4: Well, that's the problem. Everybody's trying to figure out, how do I call the bottom? When do we think it's going to turn around? I am starting to get to the mindset that I think we're getting very, very close a lot of the world cannot wait until March to start bringing their stuff in for spring season. It's simply too close. When you look at how long it takes to move vessels around the world and then once you get it to dock, you got to unload it. you got to get it on rail cars, trucks, move it into place. It's not a, you know, an overnight process. So we can't wait until the absolute last minute. And when you start to look at your real prices and you start to consider some of the things going on around the world, you know, European production being 35, 40% lower than normal, uh, Chinese exports in 2022 were far below average? You know, the Russian aggression in Ukraine, the counteroffensive that's going to go on, you know, what does that mean for more subsidies? We're still dealing with a supply situation. I, and I've been wrong here for a little bit, but I've been believing, you know, the bottom is very, very near. Uh, We saw a drop here a couple of days ago. Yesterday, we saw a little bit of a correction, not quite back to where we started from, but I think there's enough supply things going on around the world that we are very, very close to the bottom. And when we look at the urea prices today and we start to compare them against things like corn and wheat and things like that, Prices make a lot of sense. Some of the best value we've seen in half a decade.
0: Some of the best value. I'm glad you used that phrasing because that's exactly how it appears given this slide versus the stickiness we've seen at the Chicago Board of Trade on the the flat price there. Josh, I did want to ask, we had such slowdowns on the Mississippi River earlier this year. Now that that water's moving again, are we going to have supplies in country where we need, when we need them?
4: I believe so. And that's the thing. I mean, this world will never understand the amount of work and the push that the, you know, the, the barge lines and the Coast Guard the dredging operations and things like that, the amount of work it took for them to continue the flow like they did, it was amazing. They deserve very, uh, a lot of pats on the back. You see them in the bar, we owe them a beer, that type of situation. But, yeah, we believe that, uh, you know, flows are coming back. River levels are coming back. You know, we could transport easily. So I'm no longer scared of that. It's something we're going to continue to watch, but we're no longer worried about like we were.
0: That's good to hear. You touched on the ongoing war there between Russia and Ukraine, of course, still impacting Belarus's potash exports. Josh, have we seen any more fertilizer coming out of that country?
4: No, uh, they are. They focus on potash, and they were. I was going to say they are. They were the third largest uh, potash exporter in the world. Uh, Lithuania has still refused to resume shipments of their product. We're seeing a little bit of stuff. We're talking maybe one hundred, two hundred thousand tonne a month. It's flowing by rail heading eastbound. But no, for the most part, they are continuing to be cut from the world. They are a shell, of their former self.
0: And potash prices, I would assume, then being fairly sticky relative urea, at least.
4: Well, that's actually the interesting part. It's continued to slide. We thought that we were very, very close to a low value. And, in fact, again, we talk about that value, looking at potash versus corn, looking at potash versus different things out there. It's looking very, very attractive. But I say that we had potash prices that slipped $20 a ton yesterday. So it's continuing to be one of those things. Potash is a very slow-moving market. When it sets into a trend, it's a long time. And we've been in this trend now for, well, it's been since last March, April. It's almost been a year now.
0: All right, and you're comfortable just letting this trend go, buying maybe as needed as prices are are on that downward trend?
4: I'll tell you what. I am continuing to – whenever I give a presentation, everybody that's heard me knows I preach this up and down. I continue to talk about – we do need to continue having those conversations with our retailer because from a farm gate, we want to sit there and we want to wait. We want to wait for the price to fall. That puts money in our pocket. Well, the thing is the retailer also can't wait until the absolute last minute because they won't have the product in place, and they can't buy the stuff now and let it fall because they'll lose their shorts. So we need to be having a lot of conversation there. But as much as we're talking about, hey, posh is slipping, it's getting a little bit better, it's getting a little bit better, we also have to keep in mind grain prices aren't always going to be where they're at. You know, We're looking at December 23 corn at 5 you know 95 $6, somewhere in that range. We're not going to be at $6 forever. At, at some point, we will probably see a correction, and we want to make sure – don't lose sight of both sides of it. It's an input output game. We want to make sure if we're buying that input, we sell that output. Lock up that ratio, lock up that profit.
0: That's right. That profit margin only matters if it's going in your pocket, folks. If you're watching it fade away on volatile pricing, then it's not going to do you any good. Josh, while we've got you, I wanted to hit your thoughts on the phosphate market before we let you go. Where do you see that going uh, here over the next couple of weeks?
4: I think it's going to be mostly steady. We've seen a little bit of weakness here this week. Just, uh, you know, we got moisture coming across the U.S. Uh, Not a lot of demand out there. Everybody's kind of holding off. So it's gotten quiet again. That meant that uh, long positions are looking to sell. I still think for the most part that holds together. But once we get past the spring season, I'm going to say once we get past, say, mid-April, it's a whole new ballgame. When you look at it, the cost to carry this product is not cheap anymore. We're no longer talking about 3% interest rates, 7, 8, 9, depending on who you are. Uh, It's a high cost bill. So I think the market's going to be quiet. And I'd get what I need for spring, have that conversation, but then we need to wait and see what happens for a reset.
0: Wait and see, watch for that reset. Folks, we've been speaking with Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer at StoneX. Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, sir. And folks, stay with us. We'll have a conversation with Jesse Allen, Farm and Ranch Director of the American Ag Network, when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
6: Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens.
1: Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration,
6: Independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early.
1: My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want
7: to lose that.
3: Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more.
6: Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we
0: get together for The Monthly Grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us now is Troy Schneider. He's the chair of the Market Development Action Team for the National Corn Growers Association, had the chance back in December
3: to travel over to Europe. Over in the European Union, when we were there for the CPA, one of the topics came up was the the methane tax emission on cattle. And then The reduced use of um, pesticides. The farmers over in the European Union do not feel like they are appreciated, that they're wanted. What we all came away with is we need to learn from their mistakes. How do we go forward How do we make sure that those policies don't come over here? We do have those policies coming to the head every once in a while here in the United States, but we have that strong voice within CBA, within CGA in Washington, D.C.
0: This Monthly Grind recap is sponsored by the National Corn Growers Association. Be sure to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind
9: here on AOA. In farming, you know being early means you're right on time. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can protect your investment and give your farm an advantage all season long. Find the tools and resources you need to spray early and guarantee your weed control at roundupreadyextendcom slash sprayearly. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices.
5: I think farming picked me. (laughs) I didn't pick farming.
0: Are you heading to the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about what's happening in the tire world. I will be broadcasting AOA live from Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday at the National Farm Machinery Show. That's the Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Louisville. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, this time of year, Max Armstrong calls it the learning season. It's the time of year we're most row crop producers aren't out in the field, so it's the time we get those leaders together to plot and brainstorm and look out to the future of their respective commodity. And those meetings are happening across the country. There's one going on right now in Nashville, Tennessee. United Soybean Board is having their February board meeting. Jesse Allen, the Farm and Ranch Director with the American Ag Network, joins us from Nashville with Matt Gast from the USB. Jesse, thanks for joining us today.
7: You bet, Mike. Thanks for having us here on AOA today. And as you said, I'm being joined by Matt Gast. He is uh, the Supply Action Team Chair with United Soybean Board from Valley City, North Dakota. Matt, good to uh, have you with us here on AOA today. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the time and uh, I know uh, a lot of exciting things happening here during uh, the February board meeting this week in Nashville. And just to kind of start, I know a lot of administrative things you guys are working on, looking at a lot of your different investments here, moving forward with the United Soybean Board. Can you just give us some highlights to start of some of the things you guys are working on and looking at this week? Yeah, it's an exciting time.
5: You know, we got our three main priority areas that we focus on, infrastructure and connectivity, health and nutrition, and innovation and technology. So we're trying to advance uh, our investment portfolio for the f- soybean farmers around the country.
7: Definitely. Well, and, and what are some of those big investments that you guys are looking at? Cause I know obviously there's a lot of excitement I think in the soybean industry right now surrounding things like renewable diesel and expanded crush, et cetera. We hear a lot about those things. I know there's way more than just that though that you guys work on. What are some of the big things that are kind of under conversation here this week
5: well you know infrastructure is a big thing we need our infrastructure we got to be able to have uh the ability for farmers to connect to markets you know rails um the river system mm-hmm. those are all all big big things that we need to focus on continue to build on uh, maintain what we have and find you know keep keep building on those
7: things definitely well and obviously that's that's a big issue mike if yeah, Matt,
5: I was
0: curious. You had that committee, infrastructure and connectivity. And of course, across rural America, rural broadband is so vital. What are the conversations about getting rural America
5: connected there at the United Soybean Board? Yeah, it's funny you say that. We had a group yesterday, and one of the supply groups was talking about that. And a lot of people don't realize that it's not the internet's not out there to some of these rural locations like people think. I know uh, one of the ladies in the group was talking about the only way they get internet is with satellite. They have no way to and to get it otherwise other than that.
7: That's a Yeah, amazing. and it's
5: not cheap. No, it's not. So we're looking at ways to, you know, expand that, get that out to more rural, rural rural people and uh, you know, it's it's vital for them to run their business and their farming operation to have that out there.
7: I know as well. You you mentioned innovation technology. There's a lot of things wrapped up in that. I, I know we've Heard a lot in recent years about things like the uh, the sneakers made out of soy and different things surrounding you know high lake soybeans etc there's there's so many different things you guys work on on the innovation side when it comes to uh, the united soybean board what are some things you're looking at there this week
5: yeah you know the good the Goodyear tires the sketchers um goodyear continues to add lines of tires that have um soybean you made with soybean products in them you know we're in an ever-changing world so we're constantly looking to ways to maintain some of our stuff, but also build and find new, find new uses for soybeans. Fantastic.
0: On the nutrition side, Matt, what kind of work is being done at USB to make sure that Americans know that uh, products from soybeans are healthful and nutritious?
5: Yeah, you know, we got sustainability has been the big, big word here. And we already are the most sustainable farming practices in the world. But yet we want to find ways to continue to build on that. Um, to 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 make it more sustainable and to you know to to help people what they want with sure. their with their food
7: well and obviously i mean you know you're a farmer grower as well and with sustainability it's it's such a a, a huge topic that it, it's something that you know it's not something we're going to solve every you know within a day it's, it's going to take time but you know being able to have strategic investments and, and working together to advance the the sustainability goals of uh you know say the united soybean board uh, that I think that's the biggest key, Matt, is working together to kind of build on sustainability. Oh, 100%. You
5: know, nobody knows what the actual
7: real definition of sustainability
5: is. and so But we want to work with people. We want to build off of that, you know, because ultimately that's that's a big key.
7: For sure.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. And that is the important thing. Matt, how long are, are the members gathering there in Nashville for this week?
5: Um, some of us got in Monday and we will uh, finish up meetings tomorrow. So it's, a, it's been a, a busy full week. Yeah, that is a full week. Conversations going well between all the uh, the members and they're on the board. Yeah, yeah. it's It's been an exciting week. You know, we've got a lot of good, smart people on this board. A um, lot of great ideas coming out. So we're hoping to be project makers and really, you know, really advance. Uh, you know, our job here, at the bottom line is to bring back return on investment for u.s soybean farmers and so that's at the end of the day that's the bottom line is the bottom dollar and what we can return to them
7: definitely and i know busy day today as well general session uh already started this morning and i think that goes for most of the day and that's uh obviously a big time to learn about some of the things that are going on but also for everyone to kind of talk and have conversations as well isn't it matt
5: yeah yeah no it's we get a lot of good information given to us and uh a short amount of time. It's it's a busy day. So
7: <laughs> a lot to take in and a lot to assess as well, for sure. And uh, Mike, I, I think we're, we're about against the clock, but maybe if you have one more question for us here real quick.
0: Well, Matt, I just wanted to say for listeners who maybe aren't up to speed on what the USB does, where can they go to learn more and uh, keep up with the work you're doing?
5: Well, they can go to uh, our website, United Soybean. And uh, we got all kinds of tools. We got a spot, all kinds of good resources for farmers that they can go to
7: Fantastic. And that's unitedsoybean.org. And uh, Mike, as well, I'll do a real fast plug uh, for uh, Market Talk this afternoon, AOA sister program. I know we're going to talk more here from uh, the meeting. We're going to be speaking markets uh, with Mac Marshall, of the United Soybean Board. And we'll talk to the new chair, Megan Kaiser, as well, coming up here uh, this afternoon, also on Market Talk. So going to have a, a busy day here in Nashville. Mike, thanks for having us on AOA today.
0: Hey, thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Matt, for joining us, folks. You can find Market Talk at markettalk.ag. That was Jesse Allen, Farm and Ranch Director of the American Ag Network and Matt Gass from the United Soybean Board. Folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll get Arlen Suderman's thoughts on this most recent supply and demand estimate from the USDA. We'll also talk about swine disease with our friends from the Swine Health Information Center. We'll see you tomorrow, folks. Take care. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Are you heading to the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about what's happening in the entire world. I will be broadcasting AOA live from Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday at the National Farm Machinery Show. That's the trelleborg Booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Louisville.
1: Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to farm rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org.